It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Monday, January 11th, 2021. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. Over 1,200 Sitkins have received the coronavirus vaccine since it arrived in the middle of the night three weeks ago. Local officials stress that vaccines will be available to anyone who wants them at some point. But for now, supplies remain limited. As KCAW's Aaron McKinstry reports, navigating who does qualify for the vaccine and where to sign up has been a source of confusion for many Sitkins. Sitkins have two options with two different sets of rules for getting the coronavirus vaccine. One is Harry Race Pharmacy, which is working with the state. The pharmacy vaccinated just over 100 people at the fire hall in December and is starting second doses for those first responders, police officers, troopers, and other emergency personnel. The city is also directing anyone 65 and older who wants a vaccine to register through the state and the pharmacy's websites. That's after the state broke with federal recommendations and issued guidelines prioritizing elders 65 and older over frontline essential workers. But that form showed no available appointment times as of Friday. Pharmacist Dirk White said at a Sitka Unified Command meeting on Wednesday that they do have 100 Moderna vaccines on hand and 100 more on the way. They plan to administer vaccines on Wednesday, January 13th and 20th. But we're setting up and prepping and following the tiers that uh, the state's giving us to uh, go by for administration. The second option is through the Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium. Anyone interested in a vaccine can register through their website and will receive a phone call to schedule an appointment, said City Public Information Officer Jessica Yeremia. And they will only call you when your phase or tier comes up, not beforehand. So if you're wondering why you haven't received a phone call yet, it is because your tier has not come up yet. Search's phases for rolling out the vaccine in Sitka currently differ from the states. They're prioritizing people 75 and older and frontline essential workers as defined by the CDC. That includes people who work in childcare, education, food, agriculture, and manufacturing, as well as postal, grocery store, and public transit workers, corrections officers, and first responders. At Wednesday's Unified Command meeting, Search Chief Medical Officer Dr. Elliot Brule said that discrepancy is partly because the state changed their guidelines on New Year's Eve, after Search had already started implementing their vaccination plan based on national recommendations. The issue with the vaccine sequencing has been the fact that the guidelines from the state have changed three times in the last seven days. Search spokesperson Megan Bozak said future clinic dates will be announced as more vaccines become available. Dr. Brule emphasized that the vaccine is a limited resource. That's why the guidelines are necessary. Really what we're doing is we're trying to follow the state and national guidelines that are based on medical experts as well as ethicists um, who are looking at, you know, fair and equitable distribution of this and trying to get it into populations that are most affected by the virus. Brule said Surge is starting to administer the second dose of the vaccine to frontline healthcare workers. The second dose of the Pfizer vaccine is given 21 days after the first. The second dose of the Moderna vaccine is given after 28 days. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Erin McKinstry. For updated information on the vaccine, testing, and COVID case counts, visit the KCAW Coronavirus Information Hub at kcaw.org.
Alaska's highest court has ruled the state was wrong to sanction a gnome man over an open letter to a newspaper he wrote in advance of a Native Corporation's board election. But, as Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports, justices did not rule on the broader constitutional issues of free speech for Native Corporation shareholders. The state's financial regulator fined Austin Amasok $1,500 for a letter to the editor he had published in the Gnome Nugget in 2017. They said he should have filed paperwork under regulations that require shareholders to disclose their connections before soliciting votes called proxies. Austin Amasok argued that his letter wasn't supporting or criticizing any individuals running to lead the Village Corporation, of which he's a shareholder. Susan Orlansky argued the case on Amasok's behalf. Nobody's looking for votes for particular slates or particular candidates because we don't even know who's running. The notion that that fits within the definition of a proxy solicitation troubled the Supreme Court. Rather, he'd encouraged fellow shareholders with voting powers not to file discretionary proxies. Those are basically blank ballots that can later be used by a slate of candidates, usually endorsed by the sitting board of directors. Critics say blank ballots handed to the board slate give incumbents an advantage over independent challengers. Some justices were skeptical when, under questioning last year, the state's attorney conceded that even an open letter urging shareholders to attend a meeting technically falls under regulated speech. Acting on complaints, state financial regulators routinely investigate and sanction shareholders for comments made in print and online that are perceived to sway a corporate board election. Like an opinion piece in a newspaper, but more often it's an online post in a Facebook shareholder forum. Sitnasok Native Corporation wasn't party to the lawsuit, but some of the state's regional native corporations filed briefs supporting the state's power to regulate shareholder speech. Doyen, Callista, and the Bristol Bay Native Corporation were among them. Orlansky says it's good to have this decision to guide future actions. I would say that lawyers for other shareholders as well as lawyers for the division or for native corporations ought to read this decision very carefully because I think the decision holds some suggestions. Orlansky says the Alaska Supreme Court ruling is a win for her client, and she says the justice's decision outlines how the state's regulations potentially fall afoul of the U.S. Constitution on free speech and due process grounds. But the Supreme Court very clearly didn't decide those questions. It did what courts often do and decide the issue in front of it and very specifically nothing further. The state says it's reviewing the court's decision. An Alaska Department of Law spokeswoman noted state financial regulators continue to have authority over ANCSA shareholders' public communications, even if they're in the press or on social media. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. Sitka came in fourth in halibut landings in Alaska in 2020, behind a third-place community that many people don't realize is a fishing town, Juneau. The top two halibut ports in the state were no surprise, Dutch Harbor and Kodiak. Lainey Welch with Alaska Fish Radio has this look at the 2020 halibut fishery and what's ahead for 2021. Halibut catch limits for this year will be revealed on January 29th, the final day of the International Pacific Halibut Commission meetings that will convene virtually starting on January 25th. A preliminary review of the 2020 fishery shows that the total catch for the U.S. and British Columbia topped 
35.7 million pounds, down 11% from 2019. Of that, 63% was taken in commercial fisheries, or 22.3 million pounds. Alaska fishermen took nearly 16 million pounds, 7% below the catch limit. Recreational fisheries took 17% of the total at 6 million pounds, 3% went to both subsistence and research, or 1 million pounds for each. Over 5 million pounds of halibut was taken as bycatch in other fisheries. Homer got the biggest chunk of the halibut landings, 18%, or nearly 3 million pounds. Dutch Harbor came in second for landings, followed by Kodiak, Juno at 1.3 million pounds, outpaced Sitka at 1.1 million pounds of the total halibut landings. On a related note, a study will soon be underway on Canada's east coast to determine if throwing back big fish will help boost the Atlantic halibut stock. The biggest halibut are usually the female breeders. The CBC reports that Canada's Department of Fisheries and Oceans and the Atlantic Halibut Council are collaborating on a $4.2 million study that, starting this spring, will track 150 halibut that are outfitted with satellite tags and followed for three years. The study could result in a maximum size limit for Atlantic halibut. Lainey Welch's Alaska Fish Radio is produced at KMXT in Kodiak with sponsorship by Ocean Beauty Seafoods and the Sitka-based Alaska Marine Safety Education Association. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. And now taking a look at the weather for Sitka for Monday, January 11, 2021. Today, numerous rain showers and isolated thunderstorms, highs around 42, south wind 10 to 20 miles per hour. Tonight, windy, widespread rain showers, lows around 36, southeast wind 15 to 25 miles per hour, increasing to 30 miles per hour late, wind gusts up to 45 miles per hour. And now taking a look at our community calendar for some things happening in the listening region. The Payment Protection Program reopens Monday, January 11th. For more information, visit the Sitka Economic Resiliency Task Force. The link is on the KCAW community calendar at kcaw.org. Those becoming members of Friends of Sheldon Jackson Museum through Friday, February 5th, will have their names entered in a drawing for an alley-high signed print or a beaded barrette. Winners will be announced during the annual meeting Saturday, February 6th via Zoom. To join the nonprofit, go to friendsofsjm.com. Those with questions can call 747-6233. 4-H holds an interactive Zoom workshop on disability awareness, 4 p.m. Monday, January 11th. Art, video, and conversation are used. Contact emily at sitkawild.org for registration or for more information. You are tuned in to your community radio station, Raven Radio, KCAW, Sitka. Good morning. This is 